weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to another episode of Education Matters presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Keith Poston. This episode, we're going to explore school funding across North Carolina by looking at a new study released this week by the Public School Forum, the group that I lead and that presents this show each week. Today, we have the Forum's research director, as well as a local district finance officer, a UNC professor, and a state representative who have all been involved in school finance issues. So we're going to learn a lot today. Like every week before we tackle our main topic, we open with our segment we call Headlines. It's a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. School leaders from across the state, along with representatives from the North Carolina Association of Educators, gathered at the General Assembly last week to urge Senate lawmakers to take action to change a new K-3 class size cap before it affects the jobs of more than 4,000 arts, music, PE, and foreign language teachers. The new hard per class cap was added in last year's budget and district leaders have been warning legislators since last fall that without a remedy or additional dollars they will be forced to cut hundreds of teaching positions in areas like art and PE in order to hire the new regular classroom teachers they say they'll need to meet the law. The House has already passed a measure that will help address their concerns but so far the Senate has not taken the matter up. Kestrel Heights, the Durham Charter School that was ordered to close its high school a few weeks ago, is appealing the decision by the State Board of Education. The State Board took action because the school awarded diplomas to students who didn't meet state requirements for graduation. A State Board review panel will hold a public meeting on April 4th to hear from the school. Former North Carolina Senator Howard Lee has been selected by the Public School Forum for its, as its 2017 J. Robinson Education Leadership Award recipient. Senator Lee will be honored at a gala event in Raleigh in May. Senator Lee was the first African-American to be elected to a mayor of a predominantly white southern town since Reconstruction. That was Chapel Hill, where he was elected in 1969. He later went on to become the first African-American to serve as a cabinet secretary and the first to chair the State Board of Education. Finally, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled last week that school districts must go the extra mile to accommodate students with disabilities in a unanimous decision that could dramatically expand the rights of special education students. All eight justices sided with the Colorado student in the case, Andrew versus Douglas County School District, in one of the most significant special education cases in decades. Andrew was diagnosed with autism and his parents feel his public school and individual education program had failed him and sought reimbursement for the cost of sending him to a specialized private school. The National Center for Learning Disability said it hoped the ruling would prompt long overdue discussions between parents and educators about how best to serve these students. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the episode, we're going to talk local school funding. A new report out just this week, you can see a copy of it on the cover of on the screen right now. Here to discuss it, we have our research director from the Public School Forum of North Carolina, Lauren Bach. Lauren, thanks for being here. And we have Aaron Boyer. Aaron, a return guest to Education Matters. Aaron is the chief financial officer in Durham Public Schools. So thank you both for being here. Um, Lauren, I'm going to start with you. This is the Forum's report. What's the purpose of this study? It's something that the Forum's been doing now for, I think, more than 25 years. But uh, tell me a little bit about why. So what's the point of it? 
So the public school forum looks at the local school finance study every year to separate local funding from other sources of public school funding, mostly state and federal funding. Um, our report looks at each county's local spending in order to examine the capacity and actual effort of counties to support their local public schools. So what basically, you're, you're talking about isolating and to sort of figure out what, what are the counties doing versus um, uh, sort of what, you know, what are the other resources, as you mentioned, from the state and federal. So, so since you've been doing it for so long, what are, the, are there some overall themes or trends that the, the forum has found in this report? There are. The gap between high wealth and low wealth counties continues to increase. Um, yeah, I think, we actually have, I think we have a chart actually we're going to pull up, so yeah, go ahead. Um, so our state's poorest counties continue to fall further behind our wealthier counties in terms of resources available to their local schools. Um, looking specifically in our report, the 10 highest spending counties spend $3,026 per student compared to $710 per student in our 10 lowest spending counties. Right. Well, that's a pretty, that's a pretty significant gap um, uh, between our top 10, if you will, and, and bottom 10. Aaron, um, you've served, um, you're in Durham Public Schools now. You were uh, in Pitt County uh, before that. So you've, you've kind of seen um, uh, different sides of this coin. What are these numbers? I guess, what was the impact? What does it look like when you're a, a CFO in a district uh, when you see these kind of numbers? Um, tremendous differences. Um, in a district that funds $1,500 more per child than where I came from, it allows you to be competitive with the salary schedule to offer a teacher supplement as high as 18.5% where versus 3 to 5%. It allows you to actually have programming that's beyond what the state funds you. It gives you that local flexibility to have some innovation um, to provide some other choices within your county and your community. Yeah, we've actually tried to, I think we've explained that before on the show, but just to, just to remind our viewers, teachers are paid, there's a base salary that they get from the state, but what you're talking about is teacher the, supplement. the teacher, teacher supplement. So they can actually, a county like Durham, and I know here in Wake County where we do the show, I think is the highest supplement um, on average is $6,000 more. So it's, it's a, obviously a major difference in terms of uh, what you can provide your teachers. Yeah, drastic difference between the counties that pay a couple hundred dollars to those that are, like you said, in the five, six thousand dollar range. That's a tremendous recruitment, not only locally, but nationally when they compete for teaching and workforce across the entire country. Now, you've helped us with this study uh, before. Um, I mean, what are your, what are the biggest challenges when you're uh, as a uh, the lead finance guy for a district? So what are your biggest challenges overall? Um, well, of course, you always have that working relationship with your county. Um, this is a great report that gives an objective look at how districts are funded um, and then also a county's ability to pay. So if the people that are at the table are able to make decisions, then you can talk through what is that leveraged ability for a county to pay? Where is their tax rate? Um, what are they putting into debt service? Uh, this is a great condensed document that more districts should use as they go forward in their local budget process. Right. Now, Lauren, you, we, um, Aaron just, just hit on a couple of the, uh, the, the kinds of things that are in the report. So we've got what? Ability to pay, mm -hmm. which is really just looking at what? The tax base? Um, it's looking at each local government's ability to pay as far as the property taxes. That's the primary way each local government can raise money for their schools and other government spending and there's a wide variation of property value in the state's wealthiest and poorest counties. Right and that's and that's one of the things that I know when we've had other guests on from um, uh, some of our poorer counties they talk about the fact is they're doing as much as they can in, right. in a lot of ways. Now um, we, you, we, we talked about you showed the first chart we're going to pull up a second chart um, mm -hmm. that I think is really dramatic this is the spending disparities um, right. uh, by uh, the county Orange County and I, I love Orange County not picking on them but they do have the highest per student um, sort of add-on so uh, tell me a little bit about this chart that's in the report. 
They do. This looks at orange is spending locally per student compared to the um, lowest spending seven counties. And if you look at that, Orange County spends seven or four thousand seven hundred and thirty-four dollars. The bottom seven counties combined only spend six dollars more per child than Orange County spends by itself. And that's again looking back to the property tax values. Orange County is a very wealthy county, has a lot of high property tax values compared to other parts of the state. Right. And so, I mean, so Aaron, I mean, it's safe to say, I mean, again, um, um, you know, these, these bottom uh, seven counties we just showed, the educational experience, I mean, regardless of how great the teachers are, how great the school leaders are, it, it's going to be different, right, depending on what zip code you're in. Yes, a dramatic difference. Um, the programming becomes very limited. Uh, you, again, work within your state resources. But the local dollars that you do get basically go to running your facilities. Uh, they don't allow you to have that additional flexibility to provide classes with smaller class size, pay your teachers better, on and on and on. Right. Um, now, um, Lauren, what is the, um, I guess, the takeaway? I mean, you've got, um, you report this report out. Um, we we're going to have a state representative on in the second half of the show. They're looking at school finance reform, uh, possible changes to the system. What do you, uh, what does the public school form with this report um, hope to get across? So this report, as we mentioned, looks specifically at local funding, but when we're talking about school finance in general, it's important to look at the big picture, to look at the resources that the state, that the federal government and local governments are putting together um, for our schools, for our school districts, to make sure each school district, each school, each child has the adequate um, resources to have a sound basic education as required by the North Carolina Constitution. Right, so it really is, it's not just about the, um, it's, you're really talking about um, adequate funding and equitable funding because that's mm -hmm. one of the things with these, um, the courts have found, Aaron, and you know this, the courts have found that it's, you know, the state provides, you know, a certain amount, but it's it's okay for the, um, um, the districts to do as much as they want to do separate if they can afford it. Um, but like you said, we've, we, we, we've sort of talked a little bit about how that, uh, any final thoughts on, as far as looking ahead to possible changes with the uh, uh, funding system overall? Again, you've mentioned the weighted student formula possibility in the future. That's going to have a tremendous correlation to the local funding because if people lose from the state, then it may put additional burden on the local. It may reduce some district's local burden. So again, always trying to match up the resources to the process um, and have it as timely as possible. Great. Well, look, we appreciate both of you being here today. We're going to talk a little bit more, get a, even a bigger picture um, about the, uh, the national and state picture with our next two guests. But when we come back, more on school funding with uh, UNC professor Dr. Eric Houck and Representative Kevin Corbin from District 120 in the mountains. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. In 2014-2015, public education spending accounted for 38% of the state's general fund. How much did education funding account for in 1970? Correctly answered D, 53%. That's right, 53% of the state funding in uh, of the state budget in 1970 went to K-12 public education. If we had that same uh, percentage today, there would actually be an additional $3.05 billion for public education in North Carolina. We're going to continue our conversation on school funding. We have two great guests with us. We have 
first, we have Dr. Eric Hout from UNC Chapel Hill, and, uh -huh. I, have, and I have to say Go Hills because go Hills. this show is a uh, Final Hills. Four weekend. <laughs> and, we, and we've got Representative Kevin Corbin. Yes, uh, thank you for being here. Representative Corbin, you're from District 120, which is Cherokee, Clay, Graham, and Macon County. So you're yes, in sir. the mountains. The so. far west. There beautiful you. part of the state. It is a beautiful part. I think when you start getting up in the 90s here, we may want to go hang out with you in your district. Exactly. All right. Well, look, I want to start with you first, Representative Corbin, because sure. I know you've been involved um, in the, uh, some of the education discussions and legislation going yes. on. Yes, I um, The General Assembly has started down a path at looking at possibly overhauling and changing the school finance system for the yes. state. Why? You know, so what do you hope to accomplish? Well, currently the, the state funds teachers, for example, ki uh, kindergarten teachers, uh, are funded at one teacher for every 18 students per uh, school system. Um, and we're looking at maybe uh, trying to overhaul that and, and maybe uh, customize that for each school system and maybe funding a little more fair. Right. Okay. Now, you um, um, you know, I know you you and I were talking before we started taping about some of the counties. You know, you've, you've yes. kind of got some, you've got some, but I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about it. You've got some K-12 schools, the entire we school. Do. So you've got some, it's very different than a school, like my daughter's high school here in Raleigh had 3,000 students. Right. And, and that funding per teacher is a little easier in those large school systems. And for example, my home county of Macon County, we have two K-12 schools, kindergarten through 12th grade. And those are small schools, and uh, that funding is a little little harder to make work in those. So you, so you think that the, the the current system is a little not, not flexible enough? Yeah, it's a little harder for rural school systems. Eric, um, you've studied this. You've looked at our, uh, our North Carolina's funding system. You've also mm -hmm. looked at um, systems in other states. Um, Big picture, sort of what, how do they compare? Well, the one interesting piece about North Carolina's funding model is there's no other one like it across the country. Uh, so we have 50 different states with different school finance mechanisms. Uh, North Carolina's provision of uh, teacher allotments, positions for numbers of students, this ratio-based system, is, is very unique. And, and because it's unique, it makes it more difficult to understand uh, and more difficult to compare to what other states are doing. Right. Now, um, You've, I think that what we hear most about it, we hear about the allotments, which is what we do here, and, and the legislature has been talking a lot about weighted uh, uh, student uh, form, student-based fu funding form. How, sort of how, does the, how do those systems compare and sort of what is the more common method right now? Sure. So a pupil weighting system is, is more common across the 50 states, and that works by attaching a revenue amount per pupil and then adjusting that revenue amount based on any characteristic of the pupil themselves or the district or the school that they're attending. Right. Now, Representative Corbin, I'm sure you've probably talked to some legislators, I mean, I'm sorry, talked to some um, school superintendents and district. Sure. Change can sometimes be a little scary, right? It can be. I, I think everybody's used to the way they're doing it now and, and counties have adjusted, but uh, currently you have a lot of local funding for these teacher positions that we talked about uh, because in especially rural districts when you have the uh, the numbers don't work out exactly right. You have a lot of local funding. For example, my home county probably funds 30 uh, teachers uh, locally, which uh, doesn't sound like a lot, but that's probably $1.5 million, which right. is hard for a small county. Well, it's actually in, in, in our report, we talk about the uh, really the blurring of the lines. It's really, even though uh, the money is, is primarily coming from either the you know, state or federal government, right. um, there are a lot of locals now that are funding positions, teaching right. positions, assistant principals, uh, TAs, a lot of them are funding. In, in most of my, uh, my four counties that I represent, I would say that 80% of the funding comes from the state, 
uh, roughly 5% is federal and about 15% is uh, local, funded by the local counties. All right, now let me ask you, Eric, but how do we balance making sure all counties have um, adequate resources, uh, the, the counties uh, like Representative Corbin is talking about, sure. without penalizing um, other counties? I mean, because it, it, it seems like it will be, it's going to be a challenge to completely change the system without having some winners and losers. Sure. Well, the the important fact to note is there are winners and losers right now. Just okay. the winners are used to winning and the losers are used to losing. Good point. So uh, changing that calculus is going to change who the winners and losers are. Uh, there's a lot of governmental legislative things you can do with grandfathering, soft landing provisions, but you can also look at an, any number of systems across the country that allow wealthy systems to still advantage themselves but build a really firm sort of floor or foundation for lower wealth districts uh, to be able to have adequate resources. Now are there, um, um, we, you talked a little about the differences, are there strengths and weaknesses? I mean again our system has been in place for a long time, are there strengths for a system like ours other than it just it happens to be the one that everyone knows? So, it, <laughs> well familiarity is nothing to, to cast away lightly, that yeah, is right. an important aspect of it. The position based system is really focused on getting human resources into schools and it I think sets a tone and a tenor across the state and it helps superintendents and finance officers know that that's what the business of education is. Right. Let me go back to you Representative Corbin. They, um, um, obviously, the focus of all this is on the students, right. on the children. So, right. um, I mean, do you so do you think the you know we talked about in our report uh, the whole idea of adequacy? Um, do you think that this is an opportunity um, in changing the system to also look at how much we're providing to make sure that it's enough? Right. Well, one thing I wanted to mention was uh, the classroom flexibility, the class size flexibility you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. and that's some legislation actually that I uh, was one of the primary sponsors on was to allow superintendents to uh, have a flexibility in how many students are in those classes, right. which helps them with the funding. And in my opinion, that's going to make it uh, a lot easier for the uh, counties to meet those budgets. So, so a little bit, I think, uh, uh, Eric, you had mentioned uh, yeah. earlier, the, it, it, is, it, it, it could potentially be more transparent in terms of being able to see, uh, well, again, how the money's being spent and used, but also, um, is it, you know, is it enough? Is it adequate? Is it equitable? Are you re reaching the kids? Exactly. E equally distributing insufficient resources is still a net loss for the kids of North Carolina. Right. Uh, something like a pupil weighting system allows you to put a number out there where you say, this is how we value a kid coming from an economically disadvantaged background. How does that compare with what South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, and Virginia are doing? Yeah, have you looked at, have you compared to see like that like the, we've got the uh, low wealth county funding and the small county, how that compares? Just some, some back of the envelope calculations using public available data. If you look at the disadvantaged student supplemental fund, it's uh, on average about a 5% sit on top with what the state's already providing to districts. So if you tried to transfer that into a pupil weight and you were generous because maybe I did the math wrong, maybe you say it's a 7% to 10% addition, um, which is you know about what um, Mississippi does, for example. Right. Uh, last word from you. Um, what do you so at the end result? Do you do you want to see a new system, or you think we still got to uh, learn a little bit more? I, I do think we need to redo the system. Uh, um, the legislation is moving through to form that uh, uh, joint committee. Uh, I hope to be on that. I, right. I would like to be part of that process, but I do think we need to, to strongly look at uh, the way we fund our school system. Excellent. Well, I'm sure your your uh, your constituents back home appreciate you looking out for the Absolutely. schools. And Eric, thank you for for being a resource for us, uh, not on the show, but also on this other report. So thanks Absolutely. so much for being here. Thank you. When we get back, this week's leadership spotlight.
Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we spotlight Sarah Poole in Fayetteville. Leadership Spotlight is presented by the NC STEM Center, strategies that engage minds. I believe that kids, however they can learn best, it works for them. One of the hands-on activities we do is this North Carolina Science Festival. It gets the kids excited about science. It gets them hands-on. It gets them learning. They can see that science isn't just in a textbook. They can see that it comes to life and reasons that we might need to learn science. We invite anybody to come out. We have different events set up where they get to move around. A good chance for the parents to have the opportunity to come in and kind of see their kids interacting with the materials. It's a good opening to different conversations so when they are at home, they can talk about science and continue that learning. Letting the kids have fun, even though we're here to learn, we still want to make sure that they're kids. We do a lot of games, a lot of moving around, dancing, songs, anything that kind of helps them remember. They're able to move and get the wiggles out but still be actively learning. She really tries to make sure that she's meeting the needs of the whole child. It all comes down to the end of the day. Do these kids know that somebody cares about them, that there's somebody here that's gonna listen to them? We all have days that we struggle, and I want these kids to realize no matter what else they hear out there in the world, no matter what else anybody tells them, they're worth something. And they need to know that they deserve to be respected, they deserve to be loved. And I just have a very strong passion and very strong heart for that. If you know someone in your community, it could be a teacher, principal, a parent, please visit our website, ncforum.org, and click on Education Matters, and you will find a link to nominate them in, from your community. After the break, this week's final word. Public School Forum's school funding research was integral in the establishment of the Low Wealth and Small County Supplemental Fund programs and in the landmark Leandro case presided over by Judge Howard Manning as he sought to establish standards and monitor progress in meeting the state's constitutional requirement of providing a sound basic education for all children. Since the first report was issued 25 years ago, the, 20, the trend lines are clear. Our poorest counties continue to fall further behind our wealthier counties in terms of resources available to their local schools. The wide and growing gap is certainly not for a lack of effort by less well-off county governments. I drove down to Greene County in eastern North Carolina a few months back and spoke to a joint meeting of the school board and county commission. They had read the 2016 report and saw how far down Greene County was on the list and how much it contributed to local schools, and they frankly wanted to know what else they could be doing considering they already tax property at twice the rate of, say, a Wake or Mecklenburg County. Sadly, the best I could offer was encouragement that they were doing about all they could given property values and their actual effort was better than many wealthier counties who leave money on the table to keep property taxes lower. But attaboys don't fund classrooms and they certainly don't fund teaching positions. In 2014-2015, the 10 poorest counties taxed themselves at nearly double the rate of the 10 wealthiest counties. In spite of this, the revenue the poorest counties could generate was substantially lower than what the wealthier counties could generate at lower rates. Our state has one of the most equitable school funding systems in the country in terms of equally sharing resources, and we also have progressive initiatives in place like the low wealth and small county supplemental funding to help these counties close the gap. But the fact remains North Carolina's poor districts can't keep up. 
This year, the General Assembly is considering options to overhaul the state school finance system. When it comes to funding our public schools, the focus should be on how to ensure how there, there are adequate resources in every county to serve every child, regardless of the delivery structure for those necessary investments. A new system alone, without addressing adequacy and equity, will not change these trends, and our poor counties will fall further behind. That's it for this week's Education Matters. Next week, we're going to be joined by State Treasurer Dell to talk about some key on his play concerning teachers and our schools. Make sure you tune in, and thanks for watching. We'll see you next week on Education Matters.